0: This episode is brought to you by Veen Italy International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. One thousand candidates have produced two hundred and sixty two Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make
1: the cut? Apply now at veenitalyinternational.com. Hello, everybody. My name is Polly Hammond, and you are listening to Uncorked the Italian wine podcast series about all things marketing and communication. Join me each week for candid conversations with experts from within and beyond the wine world as we explore what it takes to build a profitable business in today's constantly shifting environment. This week, we get to the heart of selling wine to millennials as we talk to Diva Giles, co-owner of Bo, a multi-award winning wine bar and restaurant that proves that millennials really do love wine, if only wine can love them back. I'd encourage you to settle in and really listen to what she has to say. Let's get into it. Diva, I am so glad to have you here with me this week. When I rolled out this podcast, I, I'm still in the phase where I'm getting to interview all the people who are on my, yes, I'm going to talk to them, and yes, I'm going to talk to them, and yes, I'm going to talk to them, and you were one of those people, and the reason for that is, and we have to give a little bit of a background because you're kind of our dark horse coming in on this discussion. You are the owner, uh, operator, practically ever, I mean, you do so many jobs um, of an award winning wine bar and restaurant in Auckland that has maybe organically, we can talk about it, evolved to cater to. Every part of the wine drinker audience from my 18 and 20-year-olds, that's legal drinking age in New Zealand, will go in there and geezers like us will go in as well. So thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited. I was super excited that you even wanted me on here. It's because I, I think that you and your restaurant are just fabulous. So for everybody all over the world, um, can you just tell us a little bit about Bo? What your list looks like, what your food looks like, you know, just a general overview so they can understand where we're going.
0: Yeah. So we are a kind of restaurant that brand ourselves as a wine bar um, in Ponsonby, Auckland, New Zealand. Um, We can see, I think about 90-ish people if we were full, um, but that's across three different areas of the restaurant. Um, We've got a courtyard, a private dining room, and then our main area. Uh, we have a huge wine list. I think at the moment we might have about 160 bottles and about 24 glass balls, which for like where we are and the size of our space and what we're doing is pretty massive. Um, it's just myself and my business partner, Logan. So I do front us and he is the chef and the food is delicious. Our kind of aim is to surprise and delight with how good um, it is. So we just do Yeah, really yummy, delicious, European-inspired, I suppose, small plates. the revolutionary concept.
1: (laughs) So for the people, because of course we don't go out on video, even though you and I get to see each other's face, Um, you want to give us an approximate age for everyone who can't see your face and know why (laughs) it's important that we're talking to you and you own an award-winning, successful bar and restaurant? Oh, you're making me blush. Um, I just turned 26.
0: Yeah, my business partner, I think he's 29. Just turned 20, yeah, 29.
1: Right. Done. So Baby. you you're in that band that wine has this mm. ongoing problem with it. So they say, Oh, these young'uns, they don't like what we're selling. They're not yeah. drinking wine, they're all over white claw and they don't want to spend money and they don't want to drink French wines. Do you only cater to young people? Do you only cater to old people? Who walks in the door of Bo? Honestly, it sort of surprised
0: me, but um, just a complete mix. It's it's feedback that we often get that people love about us us, is like the diversity of age. You know, we'll have an entire group of 28-year-olds, and then we'll have 70-year-olds across the room. Um, And yeah, it's awesome. I love it. You know, it's great for us because the area that we live in, you've got the sort of empty nesters and they're like our solid regulars. And then, just as much as them, we've got, you know, as you said, like 18 year olds who come in. Um, but our kind of biggest market is probably about 30s and then jumping to 50s.
1: What are your price points on your wine list?
0: Not cheap, but definitely not a cheap place. I mean, our, like, I'm looking at our list uh, with our cheapest. Glass pour, we've got three at thirteen dollars, um, and then our most expensive at the moment is nineteen, apart from champagne. But we also do like guest spores and you know, right now um, at the restaurant, we've got a bottle open for I think it's like twenty five dollars a glass, which we do all the time. So and what about your bottle list?
1: What about our, your our bottle list? Our
0: bottle list goes up to I think probably like seven hundred. Uh, ch- it changes, but. Most of our like bottle wines are about between, I'd say, 120 to $300. And we have a okay. very small selection of cheaper ones.
1: So let's take, <laughs> I, I have to pick some sort of generalities on this. So let's go with the 35 and unders as one bracket, mm-hmm. and then the 35 and olders as the other bracket. So we're really trying to differentiate the millennials from anyone else. If you notice patterns, or have you noticed any patterns in how those two different audiences respond to that list? Are they drinking by yes. the glass? Are they drinking yes. by the bottle? Are they drinking cheap? Are they buying $700 bottles of wine?
0: Yeah. So what I find is that the kind of older crowd, as we call them, uh, to simplify it, are coming in and are much clearer in what they like and have a better understanding of what they want, which I would argue is because the wine industry targets them um, and markets to them and supplies for them. And then the kind of, you know, 35 or less are coming in and are looking for more of an adventure. They're looking for a bit of help and direction. Like the way um, the way that I think of it is, you know, if you have someone who's 50 will come in and say, I want a central Otago Pinot Noir. And then a 30-year-old or a 28-year-old will come in and say, I want a Central Otago Pino with like a, you know, question on the end. Like they're saying what they think they're supposed to say based on what they've, you know, seen in a supermarket. Um, And then they're kind of willing to adventure through that. So it's definitely like we get a complete mix. Um, I think younger people are a bit more honest about how much they're going to drink for the evening. So they're more
1: inclined to be like, let's just get a bottle. Um, <laughs> as in they're more older. honest about the fact that they will drink more and the, yeah. the older audience, we think that we're not going to drink as much. We're, we're self-deluded. Uh, a little bit. There. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, that
0: might, that's just my personal experience. But yeah, you definitely don't have to convince a younger crowd to get a bottle instead.
1: So you've got a sub 35 year old. They walk in the door, they express interest, but a little bit of hesitancy. Maybe they ask questions what about your staff? Are you staffed? Are they? Are Are any of you wine educated in the sense that you've done the WSET or you've got sommelier experience? Like, talk to me about about staff. I'm probably going to offend so many people. Like, no,
0: awesome. none of us. Have, <laughs> none of us have any uh, wine expertise or education. Um, my business partner and I just really love wine. And I've been lucky enough to, in some degree, grow up around it. But he hasn't, and he knows far more than I do now. Um, but no, we we don't, and we're a hot team of very young, very young people. I think I think our oldest team member
1: is thirty five. Um, I know that you've done staff training sessions right although maybe you don't call it that um I I, you have had times when you've done tastings for your staff is that correct and kind of talk to them about the language of wine yeah so we we do a lot a lot of that stuff especially
0: lockdowns have actually given us a really good opportunity when we reopen because we do like big cleaning days so we have lots of um staff training and but we don't our goal with our team isn't to get them to have a huge amount of wine knowledge in general, it's just to get them comfortable talking about wine, and in a way that suits them and suits our guests, and doesn't make it wanky or scary for anyone. I think, like my experience of the wine industry, having even grown up in it, has been that it's quite unapproachable um, and intimidating. And my goal is for to just be like really easy and chill and approachable. So we do lots of tasting. Like even for me, every time someone if someone, a customer wants to taste a wine, I'll taste it as well before I take it over to them just so I like remember. So our team are constantly trying it and um, drinking our wines and learning themselves as well. But it's also just picking it up from each other and even our guests. You know, like we have people that like you guys have spent two years coming in and I've learned so much just from like talking to our guests and what they want and um, what they're looking for and you like learn how to talk about it. So I think it's less about wine knowledge and actually just like what do you like why do you like it can you understand the wine even if you don't like it and then um can you listen to what the person who's ordering it wants and just support them on their journey of finding it which happens more with young people i think Like you know they're more interested in sort of exploring the list and willing to spend some money on something that they're not sure about which is quite exciting
1: so what about wine language, which can be very intimidating? How do how does your staff and how do the the younger audience speak about wine? Do you find them wanting to use any of this tasting note style language that is all over our wine industry? We honestly ban it for
0: our team. By way, that's just we don't really like. Because I, I never understood that. Like if someone comes in and, you know, now that I've probably got more experience, Uh, and tasting wines just constantly I get it a bit more so we really reduce it and we try to actually just talk about how like what the flavors are and how it makes you feel rather than the kind of tip boxes of what's on the back of the label and talk to people about what fruity actually is and I was really surprised at how many people you know when they say fruity they think sweet but then you put a fruity wine in front of them or you put a completely like tanniny, dry, really intense, and they don't want that. They want fruity. They want that kind of, you know, sweet coming through. So we don't really use a lot of that sort of language because I think it just confuses people and makes them feel like they don't know what they're talking about and they just sit there going, oh, fuck, I really hate wine because it's too scary
1: and can't chat about so, it. So talk about the, the customer service involved in that because um, what I'm, I'm thinking must happen is do you pour a sample? Do you pour a glass? What if you pour... Uh, anyone, regardless of age, something that they don't love. How does your staff handle that?
0: Yeah, so we we almost always offer tasters if someone's unsure. I think like that's something that's really important um, because you know you want someone to enjoy it. And uh, if someone doesn't like it, we just take it back and get them something new. Like our goal at the end of the day, throughout the whole restaurant, is to make sure that people leave having had like a really good time. Um, it actually doesn't happen a huge amount where people don't like it because we've gone on a journey with them to make sure that they are going to like it. But, and then if someone comes in who, you know, like we've got a classic Sav and we've got a classic Pinot Gray, they're really good examples of Sav and really good examples of Pinot Gray but I' will like tip the box for, for that person. So it's not like everything on our list is like crazy and funky and you can quite easily be led into to that side, but you can also get those more kind of, uh, classic styles, but yeah, the service side I think is
1: just how can I make your experience better. And do you do you have any it? negative experiences coming from the older audience yeah. who is perhaps challenged by your younger staff or the lack of traditional wine language?
0: Yeah, we we definitely. We had a customer for a while. We had a pinotage on um, by the bottle, um, and it was but it was like cranberry juice. It was like really light, um, summery, and we had this guy in, and he probably would have been in, I would have said like days. And one of the with the woman serving him, he ordered it, and we have a we had an immediate response that the staff were trained in, which is great. Just to let you know that this is a really light style of pinotage. It's like cranberry juice. And he says to her, "No, no, no. I know what pinotage is." like, I want it. I know it's not what it's going to be like. And it was, it was probably maybe like a hundred bucks a bottle. And so she comes in and lets me know. And she's like, he's really insistent that it's not going to taste like cranberry juice. Like, I don't really know what to do at this point. And I'll like, oh, it's all good. I'll take it over. I'll serve it to them. So I went over and, you know, showed them the bottle and I said, I'll oh, just, I know Amanda mentioned it, but I just wanted to really clarify that this is not probably what you're expecting. Is that okay? Like, it's really delicious, but it's very like summery and light and cranberry juice and he uh, just he just went no i know what pinotage is you don't i i have a lot of experience in this and kind of went on this big yarn and i sort of had this moment of going oh do you know what fuck it okay sure sir i'm gonna sell it by guest sportsman you don't want it and opened it up gave him a taster and immediately he goes this isn't pinotage and i was like oh here we go. So yeah, he's
1: like, oh, this is really light. That's not what I was expecting. And I just am like, I fucking do So you say that the younger audience, they're much more honest about the fact that they're going to sit and they're going to drink plenty and they're buying bottles. Do you notice price sensitivity? Is it per glass? Is it per bottle? Is it evening spend?
0: Yeah, so I think like for like 50 plus say. They're they more likely to come in and buy, like, our rare French Burgundy. And they're going to spend 650 bucks on it, but less often. What I think we notice is, and then when they come in, you know, every week they're going to just get by the glass. Um, and they still might order the, you know, $19 Chablis or whatever, but they're definitely, it's more of like a treat. We have a younger crowd you know, like the 30s. Like we've got a customer, um, Mitchell and Michael, which is my favourite, and they come in and they're probably, I would say about late 20s. I might maybe even like 20s 20 to 25. I'm probably ageing them a bit. And they'll come in and every time, you know, they'll bring a group of their mates in, they'll buy multiple bottles and they're spending between $90 and 130 to 40 Um, every time. and they will one day, you know, one of those bottles will be a uh, pet nap for 100 bucks, 120 bucks. And then, you know, the next bottle will be Fashion Road So I think what we notice about the different age brackets is young people will almost more consistently purchase that mid-range price, which usually is about like 80 to 110, 120. Um, but won't necessarily often go like over the net, but they'll consistently every week be buying those sort of like price wines, which I think in New Zealand, um, like wine diamonds has been a huge, um, sort of industry change for like, our, our like, millennials and our generation. Do you know, do you know, much so about those, wine are, diamonds? those
1: are all natural wines, correct? Mm-hmm. They're all organic, yeah. So they're organic. So they're not all necessarily natural.
0: Okay. No, but natural is such a problematic term, is it not? I I mean, we can have a whole other. Well, we're going to. So,
1: so wine diamonds bring in organic wines, and you feel like that the messaging of organic has been a profound interest to younger drinkers.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think what actually has happened. So they're actually called Everyday Wines. They're like retail side, um, but what Everyday Wines has done, I think. So, I, I mean, I can still speak to Auckland, but for Auckland, they have kind of some funky, some classic, all organic, uh, higher price. That like they're not cheap. It's not a cheap wine store. You know, you're going in there and spending like thirty bucks a bottle mostly usually. Uh, that's retail.
1: So. Okay. So you've got organic wine and we'll separate that out from a discussion of natural wine. And that has been, um, a big seller. Is that language that you and your staff talk about when you're introducing someone to wine? And, and actually the second part of that is how important is something like vegan wines? Yeah, we actually get more and more people asking about vegan wine and that's actually not a young person thing specifically, Um, but yeah, more and more have been. I'll just share with you the rhetoric that we hear. We hear young people don't like old world wines because they don't understand them or they can't afford them. Um, young people don't, you know, they don't really buy traditional wines that are above a certain price point. They love natural wines. They love organic wines. They love vegan wines. They love wine with a purpose, but you know, really mostly what they drink are cocktails and beer so you have <laughs> cocktails and beer mm-hmm. are they top sellers compared to your list you know how would you say that a cock you know cocktail ordering stacks up compared to wine ordering
0: yeah so we have we have quite a small cocktail like, i think we've got like five or six on the menu um almost always like it's very unusual for someone to come in and order cocktails the whole night um so people are always end up on wine. It's usually they'll start on a cocktail, go on wine, and then maybe finish on a cocktail. But that's almost like an older crowd too. There's no differentiating between like ages and that. That's just everybody. Um, we have two tap beers, but we choose to, you know, use a really small supplier. Um, but we, have, if we if we have more beer and more cocktails,
1: we have less space for wine. So <laughs> we just so want it's to, just you know. a, It's just the logistics. You need the space for the wine. You're not taking up the space with everything else. So how much does the food element play a part in ordering? Do you notice that the younger audience comes in and they just drink or they drink and eat any, any differences in that at all?
0: Uh, Younger people definitely will be drinking more wine and like eating less food. Um, But food's really important to us. I think what food does, it brings people back. You know, like there's, you come in, you will in because you're having a wine bar experience you have a couple of wines a snack and then your snack is really yummy so suddenly you're like oh i'm going to come back for dinner and it's like that reason you know we then get people coming back constantly for dinner because there's not a lot of places that you can go and get amazing food and like such a broad and diverse wine list so i think that for us is just like the double whammy
1: So I I want to switch gears. We've talked a lot about what you're serving and what you offer. One of the things that I find quite interesting are actually your business practices are very different from even other local competing wine bars. Um, You have opted not to use a lot of social media channels. You've got a pretty minimalist website. How have you grown the business? Well, I mean, people like you and Kate, really. Just word of mouth, you know. Um, I think a lot of referrals. We,
0: we didn't really have a budget for marketing. Like we spent all of our money, you know, on like refitting the space and lockdown. So like marketing wasn't really a thing. It was just about, you know, we want to be local. We didn't want to be a destination restaurant. You know, our intention isn't to be on all of the, the lists for the best of or even to like win any awards. We're not looking to be the best. We just want to be your favorite. And I think the way to do that is you know, create a sense of community and community grows when
1: you add to it. So it's, you know, people. It's interesting to see because I deal with a lot of businesses, but to be honest, most of them are owned by much older people than you, right? And the way that they communicate is... Often quite stayed. Like it can have emotion to it. But some things that have happened that I've noticed with you and your team is that you are very open when things go wrong, you're very values driven. And you actually communicate a lot of that on your social media channels, particularly on Mm -hmm. Instagram, where you will shut the doors because there's been a crisis, you will take time Mm -hmm. out for your team, you support your staff members if something goes wrong in the space. Um, Do you feel like you're doing something different or innovative in how you're driving that business? Uh, I, I don't, but, oh, I
0: didn't until, you know, getting feedback from our community. You know, like like what your friend was, we had one of our um, team members passed away, um, last year and it was a shock and a surprise and we closed down immediately, like as soon as we found out and then kept, we stayed closed for a few days. And that for us just was like, of course, you know, we're a team of 17 people um of course we were going to close how could we i I couldn't have worked how could i have expected you know any of our staff to work um but so it just seemed for us it's all just really natural it's like of course we're gonna care about these people of course we're gonna try and provide balance for them of course we're gonna you know support someone when her like father's passing away of course we're gonna you know be open with our customers about what's happening for us um because i think that that's you know you want to be authentic and it's the only way to really operate um but for us it just felt natural but i with the feedback that we've gotten over the last couple of years yeah i recognize that maybe it's not as normal but i do think that younger generations who are you know now owning businesses are choosing to run and operate their spaces or manage their spaces with that empathy um, and kindness and i think inevitably even selfishly from a business perspective that's how you then you know create that sense of community and how you also Uh, retain people and how you um, grow and make you know create longevity and sustainability for people's careers within hospitality so there's like two sides just do it because you're a fucking good person and you care and then do it because it actually makes sense for you like long term but maybe it's not going to work I definitely have those days where I'm like oh god maybe this isn't like actually going to work long term but I don't want to run a business if it's not if it's not going to be how we get to do it then I don't want to do
1: it I think that's awesome. I'm just having a little cutaway moment. I I really do. I I just think that that. I feel like I want to say, like a parent to you, like you know, that's not how a lot of the world operates, right? That, um, and and here's okay. When I give the speech, um, I I have a speech that I've given all over the world about how to sell wine to millennials, and the. The, the, the key points are one, every time I give it, I say, please don't make me ever have to give this speech again. Like I would be so happy if this speech could die because the wine industry learned something. The second thing is, and I know that you're not a millennial. You're actually, are you considered a millennial? No, you're I on the cusp. Yeah. I'm on, I'm, I think I'm 1996,
0: 1996. So it depends on what generation I'm like hmm. back, back, back in the middle.
1: Okay. So there's, there's some interesting points. Millennials are the most marketed to generation of all time. Like they've been bombarded from day one, uh, research after research study, uh, reports that what they ask is they want to actually be seen as individuals, not part of a cohort, you know, like the, this largest buying cohort, which interestingly, Gen Z is actually larger than the millennials. They, they want to be seen as individuals, And what that boils down to is that they want to be recognized with empathy, you know, that a person, Mm -hmm. that the people who, who they're buying from, the people who they're interacting with have have the ability to mentally walk a mile in their shoes and understand where they are at that moment. And that's what I'm hearing quite interesting is that number one, it sounds like you're pretty adaptable and fluid Um, because your team is young, And I do think that that's a really important thing. So what we have in mind is we've got a lot of businesses who don't have millennials and Gen Z on staff. So they're trying to figure out how do we work with these audiences, and yet they've got no internal source of information. So you, you represent that within your staff. And then you really open the door to understand where the person is in that given moment with you. Would you, would you say that that's a fair characterization?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are all either Gen Z, I guess, or millennials we're drinking wine in other people's restaurants and our own. So we're just catering to ourselves, I suppose. But it's interesting that you say, you know, like millennials want to be seen as individuals and seen because um, I think that's so true. And as for that's an experience, <clears throat> excuse me, that's an experience that I have. Um, you know, I want to go in and feel special when I'm in a place, I want to feel catered to. Um, and I want to feel like the person who's serving me is uh, likes me and wants me to be there and is, you know, creating that experience like for me, which is maybe a bit self-entitled. But I think what we have noticed is that the kind of older crowd who apparently maybe don't want that as much, that's why everyone can they all come back because then the feedback we get from like, those guests is that, you know, when the 50-year-old customer comes in, they love Bo because they feel seen. And they feel like cared for and they feel a part of it. So I think it's like an approach you take for millennials that everyone actually just like really loves. Everyone wants to be loved and wants to be wanted at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much everybody wants to be seen, right? We, we all want to feel like, you know, it's the cheers factor. You want to go someplace where everybody knows your name. So, okay, you've got your audience, you've got your business practices. One thing that I would really like to point out that I find super interesting about your communications is you seem to only be on Instagram. You're not on Facebook. You're not on TikTok. You're not. No, yet. I don't know how to use TikTok. That's where I'm a millennial. See, that's I exactly want, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you use stories all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it's just yeah. a really natural form of communication for you, much more than using static post. Yes.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because I think stories are a glimpse into what, what you're actually doing in the day. And, you know, it engages with people more. People can engage with you more. You know, they can respond to it privately. Whereas like a post, it's the bit, I don't know, if you want to know any information, you have to make a public comment. And Also, like I don't have a very good phone. So you want like, to have good photos on
1: post. Whereas, you know, stories can be a video. It can be a glimpse of, you know. One oh, of that is, that's worldwide. really interesting insight. Hold on, because this is the thing, and it's not just wine brands. People get really hung up on production value. You know, that you've got to have like super high quality everything. Um, but what you're saying is, no, fuck it, you're better off to post and it'd be really natural and have something as opposed to worrying about it being perfect.
0: You're also, we're not perfect. Like, you don't come in and have a perfect experience every time. But so why would I present? You know, like, a really good thing for us is we don't want to present as cool. We don't want you to feel like we're trendy and we're cool and we're not, like, approachable and available to you. Like, we want everyone to walk in the door and feel so comfortable regardless of they're, if they're wearing you know, a fucking suit or, light, I don't know, I don't bite, but like, what is it called? Light growth, light growth, it, is Lycra? Short. Lycra? Lycra? Like, Lycra. Yeah. Yeah. If you, you got all like, like, your we're,
1: leisure gear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Like we're exposed yeah. to everybody. And I think, you know, Instagram is, is obviously more targeted and we probably should use Facebook. We've definitely been given that feedback, but I just don't really know how to. Um, but Instagram targets our younger audience. Who are the ones that are on social media? And I think the biggest thing for me is like, I, I'm easily intimidated. I have really bad social anxiety. So if I look at a restaurant's Instagram or a bar or whatever, anyone, if someone's Instagram and it's all like curated and perfect, I just immediately feel like oh, I'm not cool enough to go there, you know. And then I think that often can translate into you then feel anxious about going there. So for us, it's just like, no, we want you to know who our people are. We want you to know like what we do, but we want it to be are easy for you to consume because you coming to both should be easy. It should be walking in the room and just having like a breath of fresh air or a sigh of
1: relief because it's like, oh, I'm hot. You're a 26-year-old woman running a wine bar. Does that ever present problems when you're dealing with the wine trade?
0: (laughs) Sorry. Um, Does that ever present problems? All the time, yes. Particularly when we first opened. Uh, I think often what happens, and this is across the board, I imagine it's an experience you have all the time of, uh, people just talking to Logan, my business partner. Um, they'll just ask him questions and, you know, let him know things. And that was, that's been really tough. Like people always coming in, um, and being like, oh, where's the owner? And then I, my, my team love it. Like the front of class woman just absolutely love it because they'll be like, oh, this is the owner. This, this young woman right here. Um, but it's gotten better like, over the last few years. So that's because we're working with the same people. And as soon as someone comes in, you know, and Logan's really on board with that, as soon as someone comes in, and it's really obvious usually, you know, that they don't want to talk to me or they don't think I know what I'm doing. Um, and we just go, cool, thanks, bye. Like we don't, you know, you can have the best fucking shipply in the world, but if you're going to treat me like shit, then I don't want to do it.
1: I mean, if we're having, if we're sitting here having a conversation about why is wine having issues with millennials and we still have the trade walking into a room and treating a a millennial owner uh, with disrespect, that says a lot about why we're still having problems, you know, selling Mm -hmm. wine to millennials, that that's really a systemic issue. And and I, I can't help but wonder how much of that has to do with what we think a person needs to know in order to be able to successfully sell wine. You know, we have all of these preconceived notions and they don't seem to fit with the younger audience.
0: No, absolutely not. I mean, our first bottle of Cristal that we ever sold was bought by a group of 30-year-olds. You know, like young people are drinking wine and they're wanting to drink good wine. And I think there's this idea that they just want to drink like funky, crazy, crazy out the game you know hectic wine but they're also growing up and their palates are growing up and they just want to drink
1: wine with a story they want to drink wine with a value with value um and but how do they get the story like if, if they're in a wine bar right so they like the story they want to hear it at that point are you the funnel for that story is are you the advocate to tell that winemaker story I don't even think sometimes it's a story of the winemaker. Like I sold a bottle of the Patrick
0: Boucher Pet Nat that I was talking about the other day um, because I told the story of my experience of that wine, which is that, you know, Logan and I were in London one day and he, um, we were like, we were real young. I was 19. He would have been like 20 something. And there was a wine on the list. It was Pet Nat. Never fucking heard of it. And it said, Patrick Bourgeois, jar with an exclamation mark. And Logan goes, I'm going to order that wine. And we're broke. Like, we were eating lentils every night, seven pounds an hour wages. And we would save up so that we could go to, like, dinner by Heston. And, like, you know, all of these, like, crazy restaurants. And we went to this one, like, like, I can't remember what it was, but it was an amazing restaurant in East London. And it had an exclamation mark on the wine. So Logan said, that's what I'm going to get. And I'm like. Don't get that one. Get a taster at first. It's really expensive. Like, just think, you know, you should just taste it to check if you like it. And he's like, nah, I know I'm going to like it. Look at our rhythm. So I was like, okay, whatever. And he comes over and tastes it. And it was delicious. Like, it's great. It was, you know, a bit funky, I guess, for bubbles. But, but it was really cool. But it's a pet net. And it's like, it still a still really good example of a pet net. I mean, it still had like a cleanness to it. And anyway, we'd been wanting it in New Zealand for like, years and years and years. And finally, one of our suppliers imported it. To put it on the menu, and that's like that's a story, and you know our staff know those stories too, and they also know how to set so that people want to know a story, so they know they learn the stories, they have their own stories. It doesn't have to be the winemaker's story. I
1: I don't think that you, I don't think in your youth you can understand something <laughs> like that. I'm I, I wonder if you realize how important what you've just said is because we are consumed with storytelling in the wine industry um and with stories of dirt and hands and grapes and soil you know and what i'm hearing from you is nah man you you don't need that formal story you just need something that relates it to a moment that maybe the person who's sitting yeah. in front of you themselves can understand. So whether it's, you know, someone like us who has grown kids we're like, I can totally picture my kids doing that. Or it's us remembering the time when we were young ourselves and be like, Oh man, I completely remember scrimping and saving like that. Yeah. I'm going to buy it because obviously you have the feels because of the story. Right. Um, And yeah, I I just think that there's. I think that there's a really big lesson there that wineries who have tasting rooms and are using sort of the tasting room educator kind of language about it, you know, to let the people actually open up and talk about their stories and their relationship with the wine, because that's so much more human. um, That's fascinating. And that's what it is, right? It's all about like engagement and how does something
0: make you feel, and like even you know, I'm so tired most of the time and so stressed, which aren't we all, especially over the last couple of years, but like sitting down with the wine supplier um, and then telling me about the soil and the the wine making and all of that, I try really hard to stay engaged. I truly do. But after like, if you've got 10 wines that you're putting in front of me, like, first of all, I don't have the fucking time to listen and I don't actually have the mental capacity and engagement to remember what it is that you're telling me. And the sort the people that are most successful at selling their wine and getting it on our list are the people that just talk about their experience of it and the, you know, the, the, the experience of selling it. And, you know, cause I don't care about the soil actually. Like I'll sit there in a wine room and the best of them swirling my glass and oh, ho, 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 yes, but my question is, is it delicious? How does it make me feel? You know, and that's what, that's what customers want too. Last question
1: what if you had to pick one thing that everyone listening could do to actually just be better to our younger markets what would it be well so if i could pick one thing no actually tell me as many things as you want i don't care for one <laughs> thing you just go for it
0: um i think stop talking down you know i think that often people that like you talk down because someone knows less than you and like that's the quickest way to turn me away, like from a conversation, to just be like, oh, this person is just talking at me. They're not actually like you know listening or learning or like wanting to engage about what I'm looking for or what I'm what I know or what my life experience has been with wine. Um, so I don't know. I guess like listening and actually just engaging. But I think it's like even in hospital, just giving a shit about the person that you're talking to is like the most important thing. But I th- I in my opinion that's the only way to you know be a waiter to be a host to run a business and so I think the only way to sell wine is to give a shit about the person that you're talking to and actually engage with them. But like talk to the the human not the industry and the concept and the the wine. But yeah, empathy is like the most important part of life really.
1: Diva thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. I know that it's out of the box for you and that you'd rather actually be at Bow, taking care of patrons than you would sitting here um, recording a podcast, but I am very grateful to you and it's been incredibly insightful.
0: Oh, thank you, Polly. Yeah, it's not my normal, I mean, as you know, it's not my normal area, but, um, but we would yarn like this when you're in the restaurant, so.
1: And that's a wrap for us this week on Uncorked. A very special thank you to Diva Giles for joining me today, and thank you for listening to what she had to say. The Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world, and the only one with daily episodes. Tune in each day and discover all our different shows. And be sure to join us next Sunday for another look at the world of wine marketing.